Well, good to be back here. As Pastor mentioned, I'm the worst member here <laughs> because I'm gone uh, most of the time. I've been a busy six months, but good to be here for a couple of weeks before we head back out again. And um, excited about some of the things that are happening here. I think I'll catch uh, at least a part of that uh, church camp. Dave Brady is a friend of mine. In fact, it was him and his dad back in the late 90s that handed me a little book called, uh, it's by Charles Trumbull, called The Victory in Christ which was a key part of my own journey. And uh, so uh, these are dear people, dear friends, and that'll be a special time. His emphasis on purity, I, um, I'm not sure how much of that will come out in this uh, uh, time, but I think some of it will. It's very, very helpful material, and I appreciate uh, his heart. And uh, so I'm looking forward to catching at least a piece of that uh, uh, while I'm uh, in and out in these, uh, in these times. Well, John chapter 10 in your Bibles this morning. By the way, tonight I want to look at a uh, subject that uh, I trust uh, will be a help back in the uh, COVID era when we were all uh, uh, bunkered in and uh, so on. I did some uh, special study that uh, uh, came out in uh, getting stirred with a particular truth uh, that Lord willing will uh, bring uh, to our attention tonight. Because I have found that there are many people who love the Lord, they want what's right, they go to church, they uh, embrace, you know, good things, they embrace what we sometimes call revival truth, maybe even spirit-filled life terminology, and yet, somehow, the experience of that seems to evade them. Why? Well, I understand, because I've experienced that myself. And so we're going to look at the why tonight and see if the Lord will use truth to uh, adjust us. But this morning, let's look at John chapter 10 in your Bibles. John chapter 10. As our world gets, uh, our world here in the United States gets more and more unacquainted with the Word of God, uh, people are less and less understanding of the gospel in its full ramifications, uh, which involves, first of all, having eternal life, and then obviously knowing down deep, solidly, that you have it, so that you can live that life abundantly. And so I want to look at a passage that breaks those truths down for us, and let's let the Spirit of God diagnose where we are, and also equip us in our ministry to others. So John chapter 10, verse 10, the Lord Jesus is speaking, and he says, The thief cometh not but for to steal. The thief here is referring to the enemy of our souls. It's referring to the devil, to Satan. He is a thief. And to kill, he is a murderer. Anytime you see murder around our world, he's behind it. He is the murderer behind all murders. And to destroy when we see destruction, he's behind it. That's what it says. Now, in contrast, Jesus says, I am come. I love this. That they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So, in contrast to Satan's theft and his murder and his destruction, Jesus says, I am come for this purpose. And he names two things explicitly. There's a third matter that's implicit. He says, I am come, first of all, that they might have life. Have eternal life. See, that's salvation. What's implicit is that they would know it. That's what we call assurance. And what's, again, explicit is that they would live that very life abundantly. So you have three truths here. There's salvation. That's when you come into the possession of and you have eternal life. There's the issue of assurance. That's when you know rock solid that you have it and you don't have seasons of doubt. And then there's that matter of living that eternal life abundantly. That's the abundant life or we could even call it the revived life. So I want to speak this morning 
on salvation, assurance, and revival. We're going to go to prayer. Let me encourage you, if there's wonderings in your own heart about where you stand on any one of these subjects, ask the Spirit of God to clarify to you the truth that you need to be helped this morning. And then all of us can ask the Lord to equip us in our ministry to others to know how to help people. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that you use truth today to set free. Lord, for someone here today who's never received eternal life, may they receive your eternal life today. Lord, for those who have seasons of doubt, who get plagued by them and uh, get distraught and troubled, Lord, I pray that you would bring them to that bedrock assurance of knowing that they have eternal life. And then, Lord, for some who perhaps have life and know it, but are ignoring the life that they have, perhaps backslidden, perhaps cold, perhaps dry, Lord, I pray that you'd bring them into that abundant life. Revive them. So, Lord, help us today. I do plead the blood. Protect us from Satan's attack, this destroyer, this thief. I pray, Lord, that the enemy would not be allowed to steal truth from hearts this morning as it's sown. Lord Jesus, I claim the victory that you won when you said it is finished through your shed blood. And so in your name, we exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder at this time and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, breathe on us now. Meet with us now. And may you be glorified. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend who is... Uh, one who is a tremendous shot with a gun. Please, I hope you don't mind my saying that. Uh, he's outshot shot every sheriff in his section of his state. He's a man's man. He used to train SWAT teams. Uh, just one of those uh, uh, guys that just, he was really into all of that. He's also a preacher. <laughs> and uh, that's a good combination. But uh, at any rate, uh, he told me uh, one time, he says, you know, John, he said, I have this philosophy. If you get sick, you just tough it out. Till you get better. Now, this was pre-COVID advice, you know. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, uh, this was his philosophy. So he calls me one day. He says, John, I got to tell you. He said, uh, I got sick. <laughs> and, you know, he says, you know me. I got that philosophy. You just tough it out till you get better. And uh, so he said, I was toughing it out, you know, uh, the macho thing to do. And uh, he said, I wasn't getting better. He said, I got so sick, I went to the doctor. <laughs> Novel idea. <laughs> and he goes, the doctor examines me, comes out and says, ah, you just got a case of the flu, just tough it out, <laughs> and you'll get better. He said, John, I was so embarrassed. Oh, he said, I went back home, and I was toughing it out. He said, I wasn't getting better. I had to go preach in another state. He said, I was in bed the entire time, except when I had to get up and just tough it out and go preach. But he says, I wasn't getting better. Got back home. He said, I wasn't getting better. He said, I was so sick I went back to the doctor. Now, you know this man is sick. Well, they examined him again, and they discovered that they had misdiagnosed his case. <laughs> this was not the flu. I, uh, I don't remember the name of this, but uh, I'll just describe it. His intestines had twisted to the point of causing an, a complete blockage. I'll stop right there. But that's a problem. <laughs> now, if you don't get diagnosed correctly, you may be given a cure, but it's not the cure you need. It doesn't help you. And the same is true spiritually. We need a correct diagnosis of our need so that we are then given the accurate cure for our need. And so this morning, 
Let's look at these three major subjects here. Salvation, having eternal life. Assurance, knowing that you have it. And revival, living that life abundantly. Because we need to discern the difference between these three truths uh, so that we can know what our need is perhaps and get the right cure. Also, this can equip us in our ministry to others because these three truths in some cases affect eternal destinies. That's major as well as effective living. That's also vitally important. So to begin with, let's start with this matter of salvation. Let's begin with the question, how can you have eternal life? Now we're in John chapter 10. If you just flip back probably two pages, maybe three, you'll land on John chapter 6. And we're going to find a statement here given by Christ himself that is so concise and yet so clear. It's essentially what's given in more words in John 3.16. It's the same truth of John 3.15, 3.16, 3.36, 5.24. But we're going to look at John 6.47. We're asking the question, how can you have, possess eternal life? Notice what he says in verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. All right, very clear. He who believes on me, that's a condition, followed by a promise, has everlasting or eternal life. So we have here a choice of faith. He who believes on me, followed by that promise of having eternal life, hath everlasting life. So let's break this down. Man's responsibility is that first phrase, the condition. He who believes on me. Now it's fascinating to me the precision that you have in the word of God. Uh, one of the great proofs of inspiration. It's very, very precise. It does not merely say he who believes about me. It says he who believes on me. In the wording in the third person over in John 3.16, he who believes in him, in Jesus. So there is a precision here. It's not just believing about him, it's believing on him, believing in him. And that wording demands the response of your entire soul. Your soul is your mind, your affections, and your will. So I often liken the soul to a triangle because obviously you have to have three sides to have a triangle and you have to have, based on this wording, all three parts or sides of the soul of man, of a human being, in order to uh, fulfill this responsibility to believe on Jesus. So let's start with the first side of the triangle, we might say, of our soul. That is your mind. What does an unsaved person have to understand in order to get saved? In fact, how are they even going to do that? Because 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that the natural or the unsaved man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, an unsaved person doesn't have the Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual book. The Holy Spirit wrote it. How is he going to understand it? That text says he can't. So to try to teach him all these different aspects uh, of the Bible, he might understand a few facts, like there's a Noah and there's a flood, but he's not going to understand the truth connected to the words. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. So what hope does he have? Well, Jesus tells us in John 16, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit 
convicts the world. He convinces, he reproves. The idea is there to convince. He convinces the world of sin, of righteousness, the need for Christ's righteousness, and of judgment without it. Now, fascinating. The only hope that an unsaved person has of understanding anything in this book is what the Holy Spirit will help him understand because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, that's the problem, of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, that's the solution, and of judgment, that's the consequence without it. And it's no accident that those three truths parallel what the Bible calls the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15.3. First one says, I declare to you the gospel, verse 3 spells it out how that Christ there's the righteousness we need die that's the judgment we deserve for our sin that's the problem so in other words when we come to the first side of the triangle when a human being uh, is coming to grips with this matter of salvation he has to understand sin the need for Christ's righteousness and of and judgment in hell without it in other words sin is the problem in other words the first side of the triangle that first truth we were filling on a line there could say sin is the problem and it is it's a universal problem every country I travel to they got a problem with sin we really got a problem right here in our country but it's really a problem in every country the truth is sin is the problem and sin is the transgression of the law anytime we break God's laws uh, that's sin and so you got the Ten Commandments plus uh, all the rest of uh, uh, the laws in the Word of God uh, but uh, lying uh, stealing uh, dishonesty all these kinds of things God calls them sin and because of that we fall short of the glory of God in other words the standard for heaven is God the standard for heaven therefore is perfection that is why Jesus said, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. <laughs> He's telling us the demand for heaven is absolute perfection. No wonder the Bible says all have sinned and come short <laughs> of this glory of God. Two weeks ago, I was out in Arizona, an hour away from the Grand Canyon. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it's a big hole in the ground. It's a big split. It's eight to nine miles across, depending on where you're standing. It's a mile down. And the truth is, we could have a contest to see which one of us could jump across. <laughs> It'd be quite the scene. But the fact is, even if you outjump the person next to you by a foot or two, it wouldn't matter because all of us would fall way short of the other side. And friends, there's the idea. It's as if the other side of the canyon represents God's standard of absolute perfection. And even though you can go out in your neighborhood and find some rascal out there that compared to you makes you look pretty good the truth is you've sinned so have I all of us have and we fall short far short of that standard of perfection see that's the first truth sin is the problem because it disqualifies us from getting into that perfect heaven on our own ability but there's also a consequence judgment is the consequence you know Jesus did preach about a place called hell. Now, in our world, hell is primarily used as a cuss word quite frequently. I'm going to tell you something, friend. It's real. It is separation from God, who is eternal life, and that's why it's eternal death. It's separation from God forever in eternal fire. There really is a consequence. There really is a wage. There really is a payment. There really is what we deserve for our sin is this separation from God in eternal fire. It is this judgment, this consequence of hell. But then there's a third truth. This is why Jesus came. See, sin is the problem. Hell is the consequence or judgment is the consequence. And then Christ alone is the answer. 
So we have this predicament. We don't meet the standard. And so Jesus came into our world, born of a virgin, born a human being, and yet still 100% God through kenosis, setting aside uh, not deity, but using the attributes of deity that he possessed in order to be fully man and fully God at the same time. And through that uh, living as a man in dependence upon God, he did live that sinless life, and he did go to the cross, and your sin and my sin and the sins of this entire race, can you imagine the billions uh, that have ever lived and still live right now. The sins of all of us was put on him. He bore our sins. All of our iniquities were laid on him. He took our place. And he not only died for our sins, he rose again. And in that rising again, he conquered death. And uh, therefore he conquered sin because the wages of sin is death. And therefore he conquered hell because ultimately the ultimate wage was that second death, is that second death, which is hell. Which means when he rose again, he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered hell. And therefore he says, he who believes on me has eternal life. Now notice, he doesn't say me plus you. He doesn't say me plus church. Now, obviously, church is important, it's in the Bible, but it's not how you get to heaven. He said, he who believes on me. He didn't say, me plus baptism. There's a place for baptism, this is a Baptist church, I'm a Baptist preacher, but I'm telling you, friends, baptism doesn't wash away sins. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin, 1 John 1, 7 tells us. In other words, the dependence has to be on him and him alone. So, sin is the problem. Judgment is the consequence. Christ alone is the answer. And therefore, we must respond by placing our dependence on him alone to apply that saving work at the cross to us once and for all. It's believing on him. And many times as I talk with people who do not yet know the Lord, I, uh, especially if I'm in their home, I'll say, hey, do you mind if I move a chair or two around? And so I'll do that. In fact, I can do that because we got some right up here. I didn't uh, see these or think of this until uh, just now, but this will work. <laughs> I've often done this. Maybe some of you have seen me do this, but this uh, can uh, be a help. Hopefully you can see the pulpit through the pulpit here. But if I'm sitting on one chair and I tell you, audience, I believe the second chair can hold me up, what would I have to do to prove it to you? Sit on it. If all I do is talk about it, I believe about it. But you're right, to believe in it, I'd have to sit on it. I could even pray and ask that chair to hold me up. <laughs> but as long as I'm sitting over here, that prayer will be meaningless. To actually believe in this chair, I'd have to get off of my, the chair I'm sitting on and sit over there. So what if I say, okay, I'm going to prove it to you. Everybody can see. <laughs> I'm going to prove it to you that this chair can hold me up. But when I go to prove it to you, I do one of these numbers. Now I want you to know, this is awkward. <laughs> anyway, am I really trusting this chair if I'm still hanging on to this chair? No. See, a split trust reveals a mistrust in this chair because I'm still hanging on to this chair. In order to believe on the second chair, I'd have to get off the first chair entirely and put my weight entirely down on the second chair. Huh. <laughs> Much better. Now, that's the deal. He who believes on me. In other words, you've got to sit down on the Jesus chair. 
It's not Jesus and you trying to be good. Remember the standard is perfection. If you're half Jesus and half you, then your side of the equation, you're not going to uh, be perfect, therefore that's not going to work. Besides, that split trust actually reveals a mistrust in Christ alone. See, you've got to get over where your trust is entirely on Jesus alone. Saying a prayer is fine if it expresses dependence on Jesus alone. But if you're just saying words and not depending on Jesus to save you, it's meaningless. You've got to depend. You've got to say, God, I get it. I've sinned. There's a consequence. You're the Savior. I trust you now to save me. At that moment, when you depend on him, you just believed on him. That's what it means. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a camp preaching, and a young girl, teenager, came to me afterwards. She said, you know, when I was five, uh, somebody was preaching. They said, if you want to get saved, come. And she said, I came. They didn't uh, explain anything. They just had us pray a prayer. She said, I didn't understand anything. Now, let's stop right there. Let me ask you a question. Was she saved? No. Because you can't get saved if you don't understand. And boy, that hit her that week. I just preached this very message. One night later, she waited a day to think it over because she thought, man, everybody thinks I'm saved. This is going to be really embarrassing. <laughs> but she said, I never understood. But she said, uh, I'll think about it. And that next night, she came to me after the service and she said, I just got saved. <laughs> you see, it starts with understanding. But... You have to go beyond the understanding to the second side of the triangle of your soul. That is where you agree. This is the affections. It's where you're affected. In other words, where you become convinced. You know, you can understand something and say, I don't believe it. Like one man said to me in a meeting. He says, well, I understand the gospel. He says, my daughter's a, a Christian. She's talked to me. I've been in church many, many times. I understand it. I just don't believe Jesus is God. Well, friends, if he's not God, he's not the Savior. Now, he understood that, that the Bible says he's God and came into our world and died on the cross and rose again. He said, I understand that. He said, I just don't believe he's God. So question, even though he understood, he did not agree. So was he saved? No, because you have to agree. By the way, by the end of that week, it was really special. Uh, the Lord answered a lot of people's prayers. They had been praying for him at that particular church. And on the last night, I was with that guy when he called on the name of the Lord. And I remember he said, Dear God, thank you for convincing me that Jesus is God. And he went on to trust Jesus as his Savior. Four years later, I was telling his story in a service. And he had uh, since moved and he'd grown in the Lord. He was in his 90s. And he was in that service, came because he heard I was there. And after I finished the story, and I said, And he's sitting right there. <laughs> really cool but at any rate so you've got to understand and you've got to agree but you can understand and agree and never depend see the third side of the triangle is your will so there's your your mind that's where you understand there's your affections that's where you get convinced so that you're affected all of that is so that you get to the third side, third side of the triangle of your soul your will where you make a choice to depend on Jesus to actually save you once and for all from sin and hell. You see, it's vital to understand and agree. That's believing about. But it's not enough to believe about. You've got to transfer your dependency. It's that simple. To Jesus alone to actually save you once and for all from sin and judgment. Some years ago, I was preaching a gospel service at a church in Iowa. 
And uh, they had prayed, they had worked, they had a lot of visitors in that service. It was a wonderful uh, service, and I preached the gospel message. Sin is the problem, <laughs> judgment is the consequence, Christ alone is the answer, so on. And uh, I gave an invitation where we uh, had people bow their heads, and I asked, how many of you have never made this choice? bunch of people raised their hand, including a guy to my right. I'm guessing he was about 30 years of age. And so uh, I said, if you would like to uh, take care of this and respond uh, and trust Jesus now as your Savior, uh, you can do so. Many responded that day. They went to a prayer room, had uh, counselors to help them uh, make sure it was clear, and they put their faith in Jesus. It was a glorious day. But the guy that was about 30 to my right, he did not respond. So afterwards, I made a beeline over to him, and uh, uh, I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to diagnose what's going on here. So I said, uh, hey, I noticed uh, a minute ago you raised your hand saying, I'm not saved. He goes, oh, don't worry about me, I'm saved. Now think, we got to, at least we have confusion here. A few minutes earlier I asked him if you have never made this choice and I'd spent the whole message on it so it wasn't like it was uh, not dealt with. And I said, you raised your hand and then now he's saying, oh, don't worry about me, I, I, uh, I'm saved. Okay, so we need to diagnose. Where should we start? <laughs> this is not a salute. It's the first side of the triangle. <laughs> okay. We've got to find out what he understood. Was he convinced? And did he trust? So I said, well, when did you get saved? He said, when I was 16. Huh. All right, so we've got, a, we got a, a little bit of framework there. I said, well, at 16, did you understand that sin is the problem that there's a judgment, there's a consequence, and that Christ died for your sins and rose again. He said, yes. Okay, <laughs> first side of the triangle. I said, well, were you convinced that you're a sinner, that you deserved hell, and that Christ is your only hope? He said, yes. Oh, so there's the second side. He says he's convinced. So then I asked, well, at 16, did you, the best you knew, depend on Jesus to save you from sin and hell? He said, no. He said, I prayed. He said, but I don't know if he did it. I hope he saved me, but I have no idea if he did. Now, let me ask you a question. Was he trusting in Jesus? No. Nothing wrong with a prayer if it expresses faith, but that one did not express faith. I said, sir, and I took him to these very words. Jesus said, he who believes on me has eternal life. When you believe on him, when you actually trust in him to apply what he did on the cross to you at that moment, he does it, and you have eternal life. And you could see the lights come on as the Spirit of God did his convincing work. And uh, he recognized, wait a second, if I actually trust him, he'll do it. I can, I can have that. And that was the key. In just a few moments, that man bowed his head, admitted to God that he was a sinner that deserved hell, but knowing Jesus is the Savior, he called on Jesus, this time not just praying a prayer, but actually trusting Jesus to do it. He sat down on the Jesus chair. So that's believing on him. When that's the case, notice the promise, you have eternal life. That's what it says, half everlasting life. Now notice, it does not say will have, it says has. The moment you believe on Jesus, it's not a will be out there thing. You have it right now. You have his eternal life. Now, how long is eternal? Forever. So let me ask you, can you have eternal life just for a little while? Why? Because it's eternal. Now, I know it's a little mind-boggling. But you cannot have that which is eternal just for a little while. When you have eternal life, it's eternal. You're stuck with it. <laughs> Gloriously stuck with it. 
you have eternal life. And what's even more beautiful about it is that in 1 John 1, 2, we're told that Jesus is that eternal life. <laughs> I love this. Friends, eternal life is not something. Eternal life is someone. He is that eternal life. You see, salvation is when you believe on him, you receive him. You see, he moves in. He moves in, you receive his very own eternal life. I remember a Buddhist student I was witnessing to on the way from uh, uh, Singapore to Yangon. He said, Yangon, he said, that is fantastic. And it is that God moves in. No other religion has the founder moving right into the very hearts of the followers. You have eternal life. Now, friends, if you're here today, and perhaps you never understood, just like that teenage girl two weeks ago saying, you know what, <laughs> I went through the motions of something, but I had no idea what was going on. I did not understand. Or perhaps you've understood, but I'm not sure if I agree with that. Or you've understood and you've actually agreed, but you've never actually depended. You've never actually sat down on the Jesus chair. Today's the day. Do it today. Jesus said, or the scripture says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. If that is your need, then let me encourage you, make that decision today. Let's go to the second truth. It was implied in John 10, so let's go to a passage where it's explicit. And I often, uh, I rarely make you turn to passages once I start preaching, but in this message it helps. I think it'll help you to see it. It's 1 John chapter 5. So if you just flip over there to 1 John, that's the last time I'll ask you to turn. 1 John chapter 5. And we're moving from salvation, which is having eternal life, to what we call assurance, which is knowing that you have eternal life. So on our first point, we ask the question, how can you have eternal life? And we saw it's the choice of faith, believing on Jesus, sitting down on the Jesus chair, and then the promise of having his eternal life. Now we're switching to what we call assurance, and the question changes slightly. How can you know that you have eternal life? So the first question is, how can you have eternal life? Believe on Jesus, choice of faith, and you have eternal life. There's the promise, okay. Now, how can you know that you have eternal life? Now, before we get into the text here, I meet people all across the country who um, have seasons of doubt. In fact, people write me. I probably get emails on the subject of assurance as much as anything that I get asked about. Some of those email threads go well over 80 back and forth because it's a big deal. It's eternal destiny. And maybe you're here today and you've had seasons of doubt. Maybe not all the time, but those times where you just, oh man, am I saved? Am I not? Did I mean it? Whatever. And so all of this is going through your mind. And you know what happens when a person doubts their salvation? They get troubled. <laughs> and rightly so. You're talking about eternal destiny. It's a big deal. And not only do they get troubled, they're not victorious. Because when you're on the position of doubt, you're not on the position of faith. In this same ch uh, chapter, 1 John 5 says, this is the victory that overcomes the world. So Christian victory, living in victory, even our faith. And so if you're on the position of doubt, you're messed up. So not only are you troubled, you lose your joy, you're not victorious because you're on the position of doubt, and not only that, you're not going to be effective leading people to Christ because you're not even sure you're saved yourself. <laughs> so you're derailed as a believer. How does this happen to people? Well, generally speaking, it happens especially to those who get saved as children. Now, can a child get saved? 
Well, can they understand? Sure. Can they be convinced by the Spirit? Sure. Can they put their trust in Jesus? Sure. In fact, Jesus said you have to come with childlike faith. But what happens to them sometimes is later on, maybe in a Christian school chapel, maybe in a college chapel, uh, maybe at a camp or whatever, uh, they're, they're hearing a message preached, and as they hear it preached, uh, they begin to sense, hey, you need to get saved. And they're puzzled because they're thinking, I thought I already was. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so this is a quandary to them. Wait a second, when I was a kid, you know, I remember, it's not like the story I said a minute ago where the girl said she didn't understand. No, they did understand and so forth. And so I, I made that decision and now I'm sensing this conviction. And if I'm sensing conviction, isn't that the Holy Spirit? And if that's the Holy Spirit, I guess I'm not saved, though I thought I was. This is really confusing. Now, let's clarify what's going on here. If someone who's never understood that sin is the problem, judgment is the consequence, and Christ alone is the answer, or they've understood and never agreed, or they've understood and agreed and never sat down on the Jesus chair, never depended on Jesus to save them. If that person senses conviction that they need to get saved, that's the Holy Spirit. Because they've never yet trusted in Jesus, and yes, the Holy Spirit convicts the world, unsaved people, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But now think, if someone who at some point in their life has understood sin is the problem, judgment is the consequence, Christ alone is the answer, and they've agreed, wait a second, I'm a sinner, I deserve hell, I need Jesus, and they've not just agreed, they made a choice, and they trusted in Jesus, they called on Jesus, depending on Jesus to save them, God says they're saved. If that person senses conviction that they're not saved, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible calls the accuser of the... Oh, and that's referring to Satan. Remember, he's a thief. And so, this is the enemy. Well, why would the enemy do that? Because if a believer in Jesus doubts their salvation, they lose their joy. They lose their victory and they lose their effectiveness. So let me ask you a question. Is it to Satan's advantage to make a truly born-again, saved person doubt their salvation? Absolutely. See, what Satan does is he tries to make truly unsaved people think they're saved so that they die and go to hell. But he tries to make truly saved people think they're lost so they get derailed and lose their effectiveness as a believer. So what do we do? Well, let's look at the text here. This is 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13. It says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. So question, is it possible to have eternal life and not know it? <laughs> All right. We got no's. We got yeses. Got a giggle and a lot of petrified faces not willing to commit themselves because they're sensing a trick question. Even on the Lord's Day, that's pretty mean. So let me give some commentary to this and then I'll ask the question again. It says this is the record. It literally means this is the testimony. This is what God says. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life, this eternal life, is in his Son. Why? Because he is the eternal life. Therefore, he that hath or has the Son has the life, because he is the life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, or hath not, literally, the life. 
These things have I written unto you. Now we got to stop and ask, who's the you? Then he says, you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So let me stop right there. The people that he's writing to, have they believed merely about Jesus or have they believed on Jesus? Uh, so we agree on that. That's explicit. They have believed on Jesus. So according to our first point, if they have believed on Jesus, what do they have? Eternal life. Eternal life. So why is he writing to them? Next phrase. That ye may know what you already have. So is it possible to have it and not know it? Yeah, that's the whole reason for this. Now, it's tricky because when you get saved, you got to understand. Remember when we were hammering that? And you got to agree and you got to depend. But is it possible to depend on Jesus as Savior, thus you have eternal life, you're saved, and later doubt it? Yeah, okay. That's where this comes into play. And here, it's the focus of faith that's the key. This is the record. Look at what God says. Followed by the promise then of knowing what you already have, eternal life. So on the first truth, it's the choice of faith and the promise of having eternal life. On the second truth here of assurance, it is the focus of faith. Look at what God says, uh, followed by the promise of knowing that you have eternal life. Now, why do people doubt their salvation? It's because they get their focus off of Jesus based on his word, and they get their focus on themselves. In other words, to get a little technical, they get their focus off the object of faith and place their focus on the subject of faith. And sometimes well-meaning preachers um, accidentally help them do that. <laughs> uh, and so uh, that's a problem because the key to faith is not us. We're the subject. The key to faith is, is God, Jesus, based on his words. And so what happens is, is people think, well, you know, ah, man, I, I really blew it this week. Man, I, I really did something really, really bad. I'm so ashamed. And, you know, if I'm really saved, how could I do that? And uh, this is terrible. Well, it is a tragedy. But it is, a, is it possible for a saved person to do something terrible? Take a look around. <laughs> if we all knew what goes on behind the closed doors uh, of our houses. Now look, it's tragedy. But yes, it's possible for a truly saved person to sin. <laughs> so what happens is people start looking at their performance. Oh man, I'm not performing very well. Oh wow, this is really bad. And it is. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're not saved. Or they focus on their prayer. You know, when I prayed, I was eight, I'm not sure I said it right. I'm not sure I included the word propitiation. <laughs> now I'm exaggerating. But this is what happens. Some preachers get up if you can't remember the date. Well, what does that have to do with it? You know, I'm told that I was born on March 22nd, 1962. But quite frankly, I do not remember it. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> you see, <laughs> it's not based on your memory. It's not based on the date. It's not based on whether or not the sky was blue. I'm being facetious. But that kind of stuff doesn't help people. You see, that's a wrong focus. So what's the responsibility here? It says, this is the record. Get your focus back on what God says. We sang it in one of the songs today. Firm is the promise. When God says you believed on Jesus, you have eternal life, it means you have it. Why? Because the Bible says so. Even if at the moment you're tragically not living like it. See, it's because it says so. 
I was preaching in a meeting where uh, several preachers were preaching. It was a conference, and uh, they had a service, and a young man came forward, early 20s, and uh, said he wasn't sure he's saved. The pastor passed him off to me. He said, look, every time we have a guest speaker, this guy thinks he's not saved. He said, we've all talked to him. Would you talk to him? <laughs> I said, sure. So we got alone in uh, a prayer room. I said, now look, has there ever been a time, now we're going to try to diagnose. Where do we start? First side of the triangle. Okay. I said, has there ever been a time when you understood that sin is the problem, uh, judgment is the consequence, Christ alone is the answer, and that therefore, there's the second side of the triangle, you made a choice, here's the third side, to depend on Jesus to save you. He looked at me and said, yes. So friends, let's diagnose. Was he saved? Yes. Now, I don't know his heart. He could be lying to me. But look, if he's understood and he's agreed and he's dependent on Jesus to save him, God says he's saved. So I said, okay, you said yes. So what do you have? That's the right answer, but it's not what he said. <laughs> he looked at me with a blank stare. I pointed back to the words in John 6, 47. I love that verse. So clear, so concise, so simple. He who believes on me has eternal life. I said, look, it says when you believe on him, you have eternal life. I said, you can count on it. You can depend on it. You can know it. Why? blank stare <laughs> and I pointed back to the words put my finger on that text and says because it says so and that blank stare broke and slowly rose into a relieved smile and he, he sighed he went oh because it says so <laughs> and he walked out of there rejoicing knowing what he already had see that's assurance and friends, if you've been messed up by getting your focus on the subject of faith rather than the object of faith, get your focus back on what God says. I preached another gospel service in uh, North Carolina one time, and uh, a lot of unsaved uh, were there that day. I uh, preached a message on you must be born again, gave the invitation. How many need to be born again? You've never put your faith in Jesus. A bunch of hands went up, including the hand of the music director's wife, who was on staff at that church. I thought, okay, that's interesting. At any rate, they gave the, gave the invitation. Many people responded. She responded. Now, they weren't out and dealt with. Before the service ended, she actually came back in. They handed a card up to the pastor. He read off her name and said, uh, so-and-so says, uh, she wasn't sure she was saved, and today she got saved, let's all say amen. And I remember thinking to myself, this doesn't hit me right. I know her background enough to know she's been in settings where she's heard the kind of preaching by good men who mean well, but nonetheless the kind of preaching that puts the focus on the subject of faith, performance and prayer, rather than the object of faith, Jesus, based on his words. So I thought, i got to talk to her. So I asked the husband, hey, can I talk to your wife? Didn't work out until two more days. It was Tuesday. So I said, hey, I understand you made a decision Sunday morning. She smiled real big and said, yep, I got saved. Then I asked, uh, was that the first time you made that decision? Boy, that smile went right out the window. She hung her head and said, well, no, I, uh, I've done it many times. That's what I was afraid of. I said, well, when was the first time? She said, and it was, I can't remember exactly, something like seven, let's just say seven. I said, well, let me ask you a few questions. Now remember, we're going to diagnose, so we start right here. I said, did you understand that sin's the problem? She said, yes. That there's a judgment in hell? She said, yes. That Jesus died for your sins, rose again, and so forth? She said, yes. So there's the first side of the triangle. I said, well, did you agree that you were a sinner that deserved hell, Christ is your own hope? She said, well, yes. I said, well, the best you knew as a seven-year-old, since you understood and agreed, did you simply depend on Jesus to save you? And here's what she said, yes. And she said it emphatically. So let me ask you a question, folks. Was she saved? Yeah. Absolutely. 
So I looked at the Bible and I looked at her like, you know, <laughs> what's the deal? She goes, well, I'm not sure I really meant it. Ah, there's the focus on the prayer. And she uh, said, I, uh, I have unsaved relatives and I witness to them regularly and none of them have ever gotten saved and I got to thinking, you know, uh, I'm so burdened about them. By the way, that's hard to be burdened about them if you're not saved yourself. But at any rate, she said, I'm so burdened about them. Uh, maybe the reason I witness to them and they don't get saved is because I'm not really saved. And if I could just get really saved as if there's a difference between getting saved and really saved. <laughs> if I could just get really saved, you know, maybe I could be effective. So she's obviously focused on her prayer and her performance. Both of them. She's focused on the subject of faith <laughs> instead of the object of faith. I said, well, let me give you a little analogy. Let's suppose you're out at sea and something happens and you're about to drown and you struggle up for what you think is going to be your very last breath and just then you see a rescue boat going by and you cry out, help! What did you do? You transferred your dependence from your own self-struggle to someone who could help you. I said, now look, you don't have to ask, oh man, did I say help right? And she laughed. I said, you don't have to ask, oh man, did I really mean it? her words, and she burst into tears. I said, you don't have to ask, oh, you know, uh, was there enough sorrow in my voice? Did I say, help? <laughs> and now she's both laughing and crying at the same time, laughing because she sees the foolishness of what she's fallen into, but crying because it is a big deal. And I said, look, when you believe on Jesus, you have eternal life because it says so. Get your focus back on what God says. The way you know you have is because you understood, you agreed, you depended, you put your faith in Jesus, therefore you have eternal life, not because you feel it, not because you always live it, but because the Bible says so. And I'm going to tell you, she grabbed that and she took by faith that she already had eternal life. See, it's by faith. And I'm going to tell you, the rest of that week, she grew like a, a, a weed every night. The rest of that, uh, that meeting, she was just, just big gulps taking truth in. You know, that would not have happened if she'd have still been doubting. You see, it's vital. So when you get your focus, then you can know what you have. This is the record. This is what God says. And then it's that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you realize that the only infallible assurance is the infallible word? The infallible one, Jesus, based on his infallible word. And of course, he's at oneness with the word. Now, there are other tests and, you know, evidences and all this kind of stuff, but they're fallible. The only infallible test is because it says so. Now, obviously, we should live like Christians if we're Christians. But that's not, that's not how you know you're saved. Because you don't always live like a Christian. <laughs> Neither do I. You see, why make assurance by works when salvation is by faith? See, assurance also has to be by faith. Now, God wants us to have evidences. In fact, they're spelled out in 1 John 2, 3, and 4. It's because of the word abide. And by the way, the word abide occurs over 20 times in those three chapters. Do you know what that means? It means the evidences are not evidence and evidences automatically because you're saved. They're evidences that you're saved and you're abiding which is the picturesque word that you're continuing to depend on Jesus. Yes, you have him. Now you're depending on him to live through you and you experience him. And when you experience Jesus, the fruit of Jesus is manifested. There's evidence. But here's the point. Lack of evidence means one of two things, not one of one. 
Well, it could mean a person's not saved because you cannot abide in Christ if you're not, first of all, in Christ. It could mean that you're in Christ, but you're not abiding. And friends, if that's the case, if you're not abiding, then the fruit of the Spirit's not going to be manifest. If you're not abiding, that means you're walking in the flesh, and the works of the flesh will be manifest. And here's a big conundrum. Unsaved flesh and saved flesh looks exactly the same. <laughs> anger looks like anger. Fornication looks like fornication. You see it? Now, if you've got somebody that's already saved, but they're not living right, and you say, well, you're just not saved, and so they go through the motions of getting saved, that wasn't the right cure. They already have eternal life. And getting saved again, number one, is impossible. Because when you have eternal life, it's eternal. And it covers up their real need. The third truth, they need revival. <laughs> like big time. And so what happens is people get this all mixed up and they're given a cure, but it's not the right cure. So it's important that we don't confuse what's going on here because somebody who's already saved, if they're not living right, they don't need to get saved again. That's impossible. They need to get right with God. They need revival. So that brings us to the third truth. We've seen, first of all, there's salvation that's having eternal life. There's the second truth, assurance, that's knowing that you have eternal life. And then now there's the third truth, that's revival, that's living that eternal life abundantly. Now, we'll only scratch this long enough to be irritating, <laughs> but we're out of time. <laughs> and I know Sunday morning services, you can't blow it and go too long. Okay, so let's get this finished up here. Uh, on this part of it, it's beautiful. We saw on, the, on the salvation, it's the choice of faith, having eternal life. And then on assurance, it's the focus of faith. Look at what God says. That's how you know that you have eternal life. On revival, it's the walk of faith. The Bible words it this way in Colossians 2.6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, how do you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By grace through faith. So it says, as you have therefore received Christ, so walk ye in him. So how do you walk in him? How do you walk in the spirit? Same way you got saved, it's by faith. Just like you received him, that's a done deal, he's there. Now you walk in him. And walking means it's just one step at a time. And friends, if you're here today and you're saved and down deep, you know it, you got assurance, but you're not living it, okay, then it starts with walking in the light to get you to walking in the spirit. Walking in the light is how you deal with sin. Walking in the Spirit is how you keep from sin. Walking in the light is simply getting honest with the light. Wait a second, that's wrong. You're a child of God. Yeah, this is the works of the flesh. You're confusing the whole Christian thing. And so 1 John 1, 9, following 1, 7, that says walk in the light says confess. Say the same thing that God says. Stop making excuses. Stop trying to cover up. Well, it's not that big a deal. That is not walking in the light. Yeah, it was wrong, but it's not that big a deal. That's trying to cover up. It's trying to make it less than what God says. And you can go through the motions of confession, but if you're making excuses, blaming the environment, blame, blaming the other person, well, you know, they just drew it out of me, all that kind of stuff, you're not walking in the light. But when you walk in the light and say, God, I just made a terrible mess. I ignored you. I ignored all the provision. And look what I've done. This is wrong. Now, when you get honest about it, and we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, at that moment, the blood comes in like a tsunami and cleans you all up every time. You're released. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Now you're clean. Now you can go back to walking in the Spirit, which is simply walking in Him, which is by faith. Trusting His leadership, His power, so that his life is animating yours. You see, 
the Spirit brings the very life of Jesus from the throne right into us. He life streams that life into us. And when we depend on him, Christ lives in me by faith, right? He's there, he's living in us, but without faith you don't benefit fully. But when you depend on him, the Spirit imparts to you the very life of Jesus so that it's still you, it's still your personality, and yet you're animated by the divine life of Jesus. That is accessing the eternal life, Jesus who moved in, as the abundant life, Jesus who lives out. And if that's your need, it's time to walk in the light and walk in the Spirit. What's your need today? Is it salvation? Is it assurance? Or is it revival? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention this morning, and I do mean that. With our heads bowed, and if it helps, you might want to just bow your head and not your body so you can stay alert. But whatever works, let's just see where we're at on this. Our heads are bowed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make a scene. I'm not going to point you out. That's not what this is about. I would like for things to be clear to you and for you to grab a hold of that clarity. So let me ask, back on the first point, maybe you never understood. Sin is the problem. Judgment in hell is the consequence. Christ alone is the answer because he died for our sins and rose again. And we're to believe on him one chair. Maybe you've never understood that. Maybe you've understood but never agreed. Maybe you've understood and agreed but you stopped there. You believed about Jesus. That's important. But the Bible says repeatedly you've got to believe on him, in him. You've got to transfer the chairs, as it were. You've got to transfer your dependence. You've got to sit down on the Jesus chair. You've got to actually trust in him to save you once and for all. I wonder who in this audience would say, Preacher, at best I'm on both chairs, which means I'm mistrusting Jesus and it's time I put my faith in Jesus and receive his eternal life. That is my need. If that's you, would you just raise your hand long enough for me to see you? Who would say, preacher, that's me. At best, I'm on both chairs. I need to believe on Jesus alone. All right, thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? Preacher, I've known about Jesus. I've believed about him. But I think for me it's Jesus and how I live or Jesus and my baptism or Jesus and church. As good as those other things are, it's Jesus only who saves. Who else would say, preacher, I've never sat down on the Jesus chair. I need to. Would you raise the hand? Anyone at all? Now keep in mind, if you actually have done that, then that's wonderful. But if you haven't, maybe you're like the girl who says, you know what, I just never understood. Whatever the case, who would say, preacher, I have never made that choice. I need to. There's been a couple. Anyone else? All right, thank you. Now, the second part of the message is on assurance. This is for those who've already made the choice to believe on Jesus. You have eternal life, but you doubt it because you're focusing, man, I'm, man, I'm really not living right. That's a tragedy. Or, you know, I'm not sure if I, if I said it right. All of that's the wrong focus. I wonder who would say, preacher, that assurance part of the message, that was for me. Would you raise the hand, please? God spoke to me about this assurance. Yes, 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 yes. Tremendous. Wonderful. Who else would say, Preacher, I've doubted my salvation. And quite frankly, I did trust in Jesus, but I've struggled on the assurance part. I need to get my focus back on because it says so. When you believed on Jesus, you have eternal life because the Bible says so. Yes, yes. God bless. 
That's important to get that clear because if you've actually trusted him, you're saved. It's a matter of knowing it, which is getting back to, wait a second, I understood, I agreed, I depended, I therefore have eternal life. I know it because the Bible says so. Anyone else say, preacher, that assurance part was for me. All right, finally, though we barely touched it, it may be quite a need for some hearts here this morning. I wonder who would say, preacher, I'm saved, I know it, but I'm not living like it. I'm living for myself. I'm living for the world. I'm doing my own thing. It may not be intrinsically evil stuff. Maybe some of it is, but maybe some of it isn't. It's just your own thing. You're, you're leaving God out of your life. That's a big, that's a big problem. I wonder who would say, preacher, I don't, I'm not experiencing the eternal life as the abundant life. I need revival. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen, yes. God bless you. Yes, thank you. Many hands this morning. Now, in a moment, I'm going to ask Andrew to play through a verse or two of a song. If you're here today on that third point of revival and you need to get right with God, why don't you do that when he plays just talk to God say God you know about this you know about this you know about this you know about my anger you know about my selfishness you know about my my vice behind closed doors or you know about I'm just trying to do my own thing I'm, I'm not involved in anything intrinsically wicked but I'm just ignoring you God you know about it all and it's wrong and let the blood of Jesus clean you up and get back to walking in the spirit and tonight's message I trust will be a help with that if you need assurance and say God I get it I did understand I did agree I did depend but I've been doubting, but I'm getting my focus back on what you say. You say I have eternal life because I trusted in Jesus and therefore I'm walking out of here kicking the lie of Satan in the teeth. He's the thief. I am walking out of here knowing what I have because I did trust and therefore I can know that I have eternal life. And friend, if you're not saved, you need to call on Jesus. You need to say, God, I get it. I've sinned. That's the problem. There is that consequence of hell. But Jesus died for me and rose again. I get it. And right now, I trust in you, Jesus, to save me once and for all from sin and hell. And as he plays, I'm encourage you to make that decision. And then we'll bring it to a close here in a moment. So you talk to God as he's talking to you even now as the music plays. But their heads still bowed. Let me ask this. Who would say, preacher, I'm saved, I know it, but I needed to get right with God, and I did business with God this morning. I got honest about some things, and I'm taking the cleansing power of the blood, and I want to walk in the Spirit, and I did business with God. If you'll give me that testimony, would you raise the hand, please? 
Yes, 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 yes. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I wonder if they preach the assurance part. I talked to God about it, and I'm walking out of here knowing what I have. Would you raise the hand as a testimony? I talked with God about it. Wonderful, wonderful. I wonder what's a preacher. I'm one of those that wasn't saved. And as he played, I got honest that I'm a sinner that deserves hell, that Christ is my only hope, and I put my faith in Jesus, and I now have eternal life. If that was you, would you raise the hand as a testimony? Great. God bless you. Wonderful, wonderful. That is wonderful. And I would like to talk to you afterwards if we could. All right, wonderful. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for truth that sets free in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Pastor. Pastor.